Support for the Pocket Now Weekly podcast comes from Oregon State University. You can earn your Oregon State MBA 100% online in a program that is designed to help you move up or make a career change. You can choose from specialized tracks in organizational leadership, business analytics, marketing, or supply chain and logistics management. Get where you're going faster with the Oregon State MBA. You can learn more at mba.oregonstate.edu slash pocket now. That's mbaoregonstate.edu edu slash pocket now it's been a really busy week for huawei following the united states ban on the company more and more manufacturers are pulling their support and worse their licenses from the chinese giant google microsoft and even arm are all drawing lines in the sand with millions of current and future users on the other side but the huawei executives don't seem particularly phased CEO Ren Zhengfei even stated that he would be the first to protest a ban on Apple products in China. And as the week progressed, some of Huawei's next steps slowly became clear. With their high silicon processor orders now coming from Taiwan-based TSMC and a mysterious trademark listing for something called ArcOS surfacing. This week, I sit down with Jaime Rivera and Brandon Miniman to discuss all of these moves made against Huawei and the response by the company itself. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pocket Now Weekly, episode number 360, recorded on May 30th. If you're listening to us on the audio podcast, you can also enjoy some extra segments, including some quick reactions to other headlines from this past week. And then later on in the show, we're also going to ask our guests what is in their pocket now. All right, so some looks at some uh, news that happened over this past week. Uh, By the way, this particular portion is just for you guys, the listeners of the podcast. We're actually streamlining our process a little bit so that the YouTube version of the podcast might be a little bit easier on you viewers who just want to have that one topic. But we do want to react to some of the news of the week, and that's exactly what we're going to do right now. Uh, So obviously this past week, one of the biggest biggest events of the year has happened, and I think we're all pretty... We're all pretty jealous of all the IG stories that people had, uh, of all of the posts that people had from Taipei, and... uh, Mm, I'm not. Really? I love Taipei. I'm not. I love Taipei too. I just did so much work right now. Oh yeah, I'm actually happy to be here. <laughs> well, there have been there have been a lot of good things happening over in Taipei and Taiwan. Obviously, we're talking about Computex. Computex, the show we wish we all attended, but it had a lot of news mainly for computing users, for computers, for desktops, for laptops. Nvidia had a bunch of laptops with RTX coming out. Uh, ray tracing is coming to a couple of new games. But the the main story that I wanted uh, to to point out to all of you, and I hope you looked at this uh, this 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 particular laptop. Did you see this Asus Pro Duo? Oh yeah. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Did you see that? Okay. So here's my question. But wait, wait a second. The the Pro Duo. I thought you were talking about the Intel concept. Well, there's also the Intel concept. There's both. So Asus okay. has their own, but the Intel concept is the one that actually lifts up like a two in one, so that you have mm-hmm. a screen sort of like 45 degree angle at you, and then one right at you. Um, so it's a 4K screen, touch screen. And then a uh, 4K, I think it's a 4K uh, LCD is the main screen, and then a 4K um, like 21 by 9, like super wide uh, secondary screen, yeah. touch screen is available underneath it. Um, so you have dual screens on one laptop, This, which is insane. Um, like, would you guys be excited for this kind of concept for laptops? I, if you looked at the one from Intel, I actually, it's funny because I, I was looking into it. They were actually repurposing like car, th- th- this, this uh, concept was made out of uh, existing parts. And so the hinge is something you can buy aftermarket. The screen they got from like car, you know, those ugly dash screens that you get on cars. Yeah. Uh, okay, that, they did that. Uh, but I did like the concept of the functionality. I don't like the touch bar on the MacBook Pro. But this is like an over-glorified yeah. touch bar to a certain degree that serves for more. I mean, how often do you actually use palm rests? Think about it. Not very often, no. I, I, You know, if you're using something like an iPad Pro where you don't have the palm rest at all and there's no counterweight to the product, then yes, it makes sense for you to have a palm rest to have you be able to balance the product while it's in your while it's in your lap. But other than that, I really like the concept. Are you, are you too generally – oh, sorry, Brendan, go ahead. I was going to say, where do you rest your hands? You can't just, let's say in the case of like using a DJ application where you're playing with a keyboard, are you just going to hover your hands? It well, sounds technically, really- if, if you took, mechan- how do you say when you, the, the science of learning how to type? 
Oh, in, in Spanish, it's, it's mecanografía, but I don't know how you say it in English. I don't know. I've never heard of that word, in, even in English. Okay, but there is a science to learning how to type, and if you follow the rules, you actually have to raise your hands. Yeah. You you should not rest your palms. The same thing with they, uh, they say that about mechanical keyboards all the time, is that you should kind of be floating over the keys, like your wrist is kind yeah. of up. But there are, you could, I mean, I suppose you could buy a wrist pad that goes right up against the bottom of that keyboard, so you can have a bit of a float without having to actually do the work. But yeah, if, you're, if your wrists are floating, you'll have much more, uh, you'll be much more dexterous on the keyboard. Uh, I didn't really see that Asus computer. Uh, I'll look into it's it. It's practically the same thing. The, it's just it's flat. The only thing that I didn't like about the Intel concept, at least at least for what I saw, is that it's not like if there's an either or. It's either flat or standing. No. The moment you open it, immediately it'll extend the second screen. Mm. And so the, I think that's going to be kind of hard to juggle with on your laps. I don't know. It's a concept. Asus tends to have some of the like most exciting and craziest things at Computex. I remember last year, uh, and they, they showed it again this year. They had that laptop. I'm trying to remember what it was called. I think it was like ZenBook Pro, where the touchpad was a screen. And yeah. like you could you could change the mode of it via like a switch on the side where you could actually touch what is on that screen or just use it as a regular trackpad which i thought was pretty great but of course my my youtube addict self i would just put youtube there and then do everything else on the main screen <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah so uh the the verge actually had a an article just after computex that said laptops are getting weird again and i just thought that was funny to mention because uh over the last number like six to 10 months we've had articles coming out there saying phones are getting weird again so it's nice that tech we live in a good time is, is basically the point i want to make right now <laughs> it is about that time yeah finally mm -hmm. exactly um okay so a little bit of competition finally coming out from computex also from mediatek uh, mediatek have also announced now their own it took them a while but now they have their own seven nanometer process uh and it's complete with 5g enabled uh so some quick thoughts from you two especially with uh qualcomm being in the u.s obviously we have other stories with huawei and high silicon coming later uh it, how do you feel about mediatek finally kind of pushing the, their own boundaries and finally coming up to comp uh, to compete with qualcomm I think that this is going to be a game changer because if you think about it there, this is a different chip to what we have from Qualcomm. The MediaTek one is actually the chip integrated. The modem is integrated to the chip, so you don't need the extra space for the modem on the on the mother on the logic board. Um, and uh, their perspective, from what I understood, is that they're looking to because the MediaTek mentality has been to connect the next billion. This is not for high end phones. This is for the less expensive 5G phones that are going to come out. So it's great to see that we're not just going to have 5G for the high-end smartphones. We just don't know exactly when the chip is going to come out. Um, but I do like the fact that they're doing it. And, and just a disclaimer, this is, uh, for those of you that know your 5G, this is only sub-6. This does not support millimeter wave, oh. uh, which uh, I think the only country that's doing millimeter wave right now is the United States anyways, like China, Europe. Everybody else is just doing sub-6 initially. Mm. And so this chip is only catering to that initial launch where the phones are not going to require extra RF antennas and not and there's not going to be a need for an extra modem within the logic board gotcha brendan any thoughts on your end it's going to be so great to have lower cost 5g capabilities because there's so many people in the world that still don't have access to high-speed internet and by bringing that price point down because as it stands now 5g is going to be this premium high-end thing only available in very expensive phones and this way we can have less expensive 5G phones, and more people can benefit from it. Yeah, and, and if you notice, this is already based on the new ARM Cortex-A77. I was just about to bring up so ARM, it's yeah. literally it's literally the latest technology already. So, you know, it's it's. I, I like the fact that it's already there. I, I'm looking forward to it because, again, the, the, my biggest problem with 5G right now is literally that price point. It's like that barrier for those people that want to be able to experience the latest technology, why does it always have to be expensive? Like if you remember LTE originally was the same story. Uh, so I, I like that somebody is coming up and being like, no, here's our proposition. We're not going to do the full banana. So there's no millimeter wave, but you're not necessarily like how many countries are going to have millimeter wave the first or the second year anyway. Mm -hmm. So they're only addressing the things that are needed right now. I like that. Oh, yeah, that is a good point. Um, so as far as the mid-range Qualcomm chips are concerned, like our, our 
I guess we may or may not know the answer to this question, but are those 5G radios and capabilities really that expensive? Because it'd be great to see it on like a 6 Series Qualcomm Snapdragon chipset or a 7 but, Series. But that's the thing. I don't know if these, if these new processors, the 675 and the 730, was it? Oh. 730. I don't know if these are compatible with the X50. Oh, okay. That's fair. Um, all right. Well, speaking of 5G, we do have one more story to... to uh, to react to here, um, I loved that the uh, the article on Pocket Now kind of had this sort of tone about it because we don't even know anything about the LG V50 besides what we saw at MWC. So the LG V50 5G edition in particular is apparently right now the current best-selling phone in Korea. Good on you, LG, I guess. <laughs> that's that's kind of nice. But, but here's the thing. I, I think that the only person that has experience with that phone is you. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you did our hands-on. You mm-hmm. had a lot of time in their booth. I mean, what did you think? Because for me, it's like, it's a V40. It connects to 5G. <laughs> uh, I, I think a lot of people out there right now, uh, the only thing they need to hear about the LG V50 is that there's no Z camera. <laughs> so <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> so the LG V50, what I found interesting about it is that its main focus, while the LG G8, its main focus was bringing those like new, weird uh ideas with the Z camera, the V50 was all about bringing that LG experience with 5G later down the line. And it looks like it's here now. So 5G is probably going to be faster realized in an already fast network world like Korea. Because we we were there, Jaime. We noticed just how fast their internet is over there. You were there with Anton. I didn't go. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about that. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, uh, we were very impressed by the 4G LTE that was out there. So probably those super high speeds that a 5G modem are going to take advantage of, you know, the, the leap towards it may not be quite as hard for, for a country like Korea, which is why these 5G phones are coming out there now. So people are scooping it up. Um, but this is something I always used to say. Even if LG is not doing too well in the West, they're, kind, they're, they're king in Korea. Everyone assumes Samsung is, but, but LG is kind of king in Korea. They, they, they own a lot. I had of no stuff. idea. Yeah. I had no. Everywhere I go, everywhere we went in Seoul, advertisements and marketing were more LG. And uh, oh, but are 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 they the king of the market? Is a question. I, I think that they have a huge I, share. I don't know. enough to enough to float. You know what I mean? So. Well, they have their own carrier as well, right? I forget the name, if there is one. Uh, I remember that they have their own carrier. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Brandon, uh, have you used any of the recent LG devices anyway? No, I haven't. Uh, it, well, not since the G. Not since the, not since the, <laughs> what was it? The Pixel 2 XL? <laughs> no, I, I used one after that. But one of the good things that LG does is that they release a similar product for less money so the you know the v50 5g you know 11 or 1200 bucks throughout the world the uh, galaxy s10 5g you know 12 13 1400 bucks and i i think you could argue in many ways that the the samsung uh, the s10 5g is better but um if you want to get into 5g and you want that big phone you can you know go lg and save uh you know Three or four hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the special thing about the V50. It's literally the same size as a V40. It's not actually a large phone. Yeah, it's not. Well, uh, well, 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 <laughs> well. By by, it's I don't know what's the, like. Every phone right now is large. That's the problem. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Well, minus minus our trusty Pixel Three A is, but um, e, yes, you mean this one, right? Yep. There we go. Um, all right, cool. Well, good on you, LG, for having uh, another best-selling phone, even if it's back home. Uh, Hopefully, we'll see the LG V50 pretty soon here and 5G even more so after the case. All right, so now we can get into our main topic. Obviously, we're going to do a follow-up on all of the Huawei news. Um, So uh, for for this week, uh, I just wanted to touch upon a lot of the pieces of news that came out since the initial ban. Obviously, we have a number of companies pulling their support for Huawei, uh, everyone from Google to ARM to even Microsoft. And that's one that actually scared me a little bit because I use the MacBook X Pro 2019. uh, So do I. There you go. Meaning to do a review on it, only to find out that Microsoft was pulling all of the stock of the MacBook off of their shelves. What did that mean for the license? Because with Google, they lost the Android license, so now those phones are kind of in jeopardy. Thankfully, thankfully, from a couple of articles that I found, um, it seems that uh, Windows, as long as it's already installed on existing devices, is still going to get its updates. It will not be blocked whatsoever. So it'll still work fully. 
thank God for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as far as Microsoft pulling its support in general, especially for future devices, I wanted to see where you guys landed on this. Uh, we're starting with the notebook space right now. Brandon? You start. <laughs> oh, my God. I love the MateBook X Pro. I've loved both generations. Um, God, it's it's so difficult because I wish that it's funny how we would make the analogy in the contest that these were like MacBook Pro clones. It's come to the point where I wish that, you know, Apple would poach some of some Huawei designers and just bring them over and just make a better MacBook Pro out of the MateBook X Pro design. Mm pretty much, which is literally what we have there, because the only thing that the MateBook X Pro needs is a better position for the camera and for it to run Mac OS, for those of us that need to use Final Cut. But I, you know, I'm, again, I don't think that we should worry about those of those of you that have a MateBook X Pro right now, you're fine. I just, I'm sad because this was crowned the best laptop last year by many publications. It's already being, it was already being crowned as the best laptop of this year as well. And, uh, you know, to see that, to see that innovation be lost for the future, it's it's really saddening, man. Yeah, and they were bolstering the MateBook line. It wasn't just the MateBook X Pro, even though that got a lot of the press. There was the MateBook D, the MateBook Fourteen, the MateBook yeah. Thirteen. There were a lot of them. Um, yeah, yeah. The MateBook. Yeah, the yeah the original MateBook. Uh, Brandon, any thoughts on the Microsoft side of things? Yeah, I hate this just because a weaker. Um, um, hamstrung Huawei is bad for consumers and it's bad for for Android it's also bad for for Microsoft and I think that we would all agree that right now um, Windows computers whether laptops or desktops but especially laptops have seen a renaissance lately and I think that's because companies like Huawei and Samsung and other companies are really experimenting with form factors and making really kick-ass products and competing. So if Huawei is not able to be Huawei when they make their laptops, it's going to be very disadvantageous to people like us that like to have really cool laptops and rely on them. Mm -hmm. But you, you, make it, you make an interesting point, Brandon. Is Huawei bad for consumers? What do you mean? No, it's they're they're good for consumers. No, right, but like obviously the whole argument is that Huawei is bad for consumers, and that's the reason why they're getting banned because of possible espionages and stuff like that. Nothing has been proven yet. Yeah. No, no, this is this is like the war on Iraq and the weapons of mass destruction and not finding any. Here come the comments. We've got proof. <laughs> We've got proof. And then out of the blue, after they've literally destroyed a country, um, we didn't find anything. It's you know it's really scary. If you talk to some people, the alarmists. There's one in this office that you met who is from China, and if you ask them about. Huawei's intentions and their connection to the Chinese government and what they're capable of and what they want to do. It's really nothing short of world domination. It's very scary. And they are willing to, I of course have no proof of this, do whatever it takes to become number one, even if that means compromising security and privacy for people that have these, these Huawei products like you guys, mm. um, that you use these laptops day in and day out. Uh, I'm more of an optimist, and I, I don't believe it. I think they're just a company trying to make a buck, and they're trying to make great products. But some people out there really feel that this is a tremendous threat to us. Uh, it's just really interesting because right now the way that things are structured in China is really hard to separate the company from the government, obviously. And like you both said, there have been there has been no proof that – on the consumer side of things, Huawei is actually trying to take advantage of any of our data. There are two things that are proven. Number one, uh, the Chinese government does make it so that it, it is written down that companies might have to give up their data to the Chinese government if it is um, called for. It never has been. Uh, it hardly ever has been, I should say. Um, fact number two, they make good products. Like The fact is that they actually make good stuff. And that's the part that sucks is that the two, the two layers of this, the company and the government are so, so intertwined. Uh, and that's the reason why everyone's so freaked out, uh, to which I understand some of that. But speaking of the company being separate from the government, um, I'm just going to jump around our topic just a little bit here. I just want to get some reactions from you guys about how the CEO of Huawei, 
reacted to all of this, not only to uh, their main products, but also to chips and to operating systems that we'll get into a little bit later. A very humble response from Huawei as a company actually saying that they would protest a ban of Apple products in China as a retaliation to what's going on to Huawei in the U.S. Any thoughts from you guys? No. My God, like the response of the Pocket Now Daily for that episode in particular, so many comments, both polarizing, uh, both uh, positive on one end, the guy's humble, both negative on the other, that this is just PR jargon. I'll tell you this much. I saw an- another interview of the guy yesterday from, uh, I'm trying to remember what publication, but the thing about it is he was asked about his daughter. I had no idea that his daughter was still in prison. Uh, okay, I forgot that part. I I had no idea that his well prison is actually it's it's demis how do you call it when it's it's house arrest. Yeah. she's actually still on house arrest in China, and so when they asked him about what's how is his daughter doing, he's like she's fine. She's already working. She's taking this time off to work on her doctorate degree on I don't know what. And so they're asking, but doesn't it bother you that they've done this to your daughter? And he's like, this is only making her stronger. All the situations that we're going through are only making her stronger. Um, this is making our company stronger. This is obviously, and then they they asked him like, "Do you think that you're like downplaying the amount of difficulty that this is bringing on Huawei?" He's like, "Not at all. These are going to be our hardest times." But we knew that there was a possibility that this would happen. I'm going to look for this video and I'm going to send it to you, Josh. Okay. It's actually in Chinese. It took me forever to be able to translate it. <laughs> Um, so it could be from Chinese media, and then uh, we're going to get some hateful comments that are going to be like, yes, but the Chinese media is controlled by the government. Still, we're focusing on the answer. And his answer is, no, I am not going to downplay that these are go- these are probably the hardest times that Huawei has ever been through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, will ex- I will accept it, and we are working hard. And he's like, but we – and then they asked him about the plan B. Like, why is it that they actually already had a plan B? And he's like, because we always knew. We knew that if we kept the high silicon business the you know their their high their Karen business mm-hmm. we knew that if we kept the high silicone business at some point we would come in conflict with the United States and he's like we tried to sell this business in 2014 for around 10 billion dollars or not not sure if it's 2014 or 2004 but he was like we tried to sell this business X amount of years ago because we knew that it would at some point come back and bite us we weren't able to sell it and the only option that we had is if we didn't innovate enough with the product, then competition would eat us up. And so we doubled down as much as we could the moment we realized we couldn't sell the product. Mm, that's fair. And so he's like, and so he's like, ever since that premise, we've been preparing for a plan B to, to eliminate dependencies. And so, you know, I have to admire the guy. Uh, to be fully honest with you, I'm, it's not that I'm trying to defend Huawei or anything. You know, it's just if the company already has a plan B, this is what true leadership does, guys. Everybody, you're not going to set all your eggs in one basket. You will start already working on the possible scenarios of what's going to happen two years from now, three years from now, and you're already going to start preparing. And if it doesn't happen, then great. You're going to continue riding your lightning. And if it does, then you already have a plan B to work with. I, you know, I worked in the corporate world and that's how we worked. Yeah. That's fair. I, I it, it took everything within me to not make a, a certain joke <laughs> when you were talking about his go daughter. For it, go for it, go for well, it. Well, I'm just saying, like, you know, that's a very Asian father thing to do is uh, <laughs> this make her better, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's, but that mentality, it's, it's actually a very Chinese, it's a generally Asian thing. It's like, you know, these, these are hard times, but we're just going to come out a lot better. And um, the, um, Again, you're right. We're not trying to defend Huawei. Uh, the concerns are there. They are completely valid. I'm just, the point I'm always trying to make is that both can be correct. You can be cautious about what Huawei or even China might do with your data, but at the same time, you can love yes. the products. You could do both. Yes. Um, I tell, I tell that to everybody that owns an Amazon Echo. I'm sure you love your Amazon Alexa, <laughs> but just don't. Tell it that you need to buy a pair of travel pants because I still continue getting the damn ads on my Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Exactly. Like we have many products that tow this line. It's just that, like I said before, this it, it's hard to differentiate between the company and the government right now. And that's really tough. And I, I get that. For for people in the US, that's a very hard thing to do. Uh, anyway, I want to make sure, Brandon, uh, your thoughts on uh, the reaction of Huawei to all of what's been going on. Yeah, my uh, I had a similar reaction to Jaime. I found uh, the Huawei CEO to be very humble, very gracious, 
Um, and it made me think that, you know, these alarmists are wrong uh, about, you know, Huawei wanting to be number one in the world, willing to do whatever it takes. It sounds like, you know, the Huawei CEO's main ambition isn't just winning, but it's also building one of the best companies in the world with the best products. Mm -hmm. And he sees the trade war and sanctions as an opportunity for his company to get to get better, to rid out um, what's that word? Corruption, corruption. Yeah. And he said that. Uh, yeah. Um, and also to just shake up the company to make it better. And I think that like, I, I had no idea that they Huawei had such strong leadership, but I guess if you look at any strong company, there's usually a strong leader behind it. So this guy seems like, you know, fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, think think about the times of Steve Jobs and the moment they rehired him to turn Apple around. He started making some crazy changes, killing certain things, and a lot of people criticized him. They made fun of him. You know, they gave him such a hard time. And he's like, you know, you can't make everybody happy all of the time. But we know where we're going. We know what we're doing. Yeah. And I'm sure that everybody was like, wait a second, you're going to get into digital music? You're a computer company. Why are you going to build a, a, a Discman replacement? And then history is something else entirely right mm -hmm. now. Yeah, indeed. Um, okay, so we talked about the reaction from you mentioned Jaime a second ago about uh, the backup plans. So as far as chips were concerned, you were talking about high silicon, they had a backup plan. So uh, essentially, what happened was that um, Huawei just kind of doubled down or rather re up to their orders from a company called TSMC. Um, so to anybody out there, uh, Jaime, you probably have a little bit more info on, on the background of these companies uh, for some of our listeners and viewers. But basically, uh, there's a confirmed order for seven nanometer chips. Uh, so it looks like yeah. we're going to continue to get Huawei devices. Uh, but that's just one layer of the whole thing. But we'll focus on that for now. Uh, thoughts on TSMC? No, I, I think think about it. I mean, Right now, we're already seeing leaks of the iPhone 11 and the Galaxy. Like, the Mate the Mate 30 Pro is, what, September? So we're right now in May. It's not that it's in mass production, but they're already made, they already made their orders early. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I guess I wasn't so worried about them losing Android. I was more worried about them losing the architecture, the ARM architecture, because yeah. that literally defines everything. If you don't have the processor, if you don't have the capability, and then there are alternatives. I think the the MIPS uh, processor architecture is also an alternative, not as efficient as ARM, uh, not even close. Uh, I'm no expert. Please quote me and say that I'm wrong. I would love that in the comments. Uh, but the thing about it is, uh, you know, losing ARM was what that's the moment where I, I was even doing the daily and I was like, oh my God, this is kaput. Mm. Like, if they can't access the processor, then how are they going to build the phone? The processor defines everything. Mm. Ever since the, we've got system on a chip architectures, like, it's not like if you could just get rid of the processor and then the Wi Fi connector is here and the ISP is there. No, everything lies in just one chip. Yeah. And so that would have ultimately killed everything for their mobile business. And so I was concerned about that. But no, TSMC confirmed. Um, even if ARM doesn't theoretically consider Huawei a partner anymore, I mean, I, I don't know legally how this is possible, but they still got the chip. So that's that. And then in the case of uh, in the case of the operating system, or I don't know if you want to segue into that later, um, but uh, you've been did you use the Huawei Watch GT? Yes. And it might not have been it might not have been a very good OS, but it was perfect for what they were trying to do with that watch. And what? But it was an OS. You know, mm -hmm. it's funny when they showed me that Huawei Watch GT, and when they sent me a unit, I was like, "Why is Huawei trying to reinvent the wheel? Why are they building another mo watch operating system when we've already got Wear OS? Why are they shifting away from it?" Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we, how old is this operating system? A year and a half, two years yeah. since they launched the GT. And so it's not like if they're just starting, they pretty much proved that they were already working on an operating system right there. Yeah, that's very true. Um, Brandon, any, uh, any thoughts on this side? Um, about TSMC, that was what we were talking about, the uh, seven nanometer chip order that they made. Hi, mate. How does high silicon and the Kirin chips relate to ARM and TSMC. So TSMC, TSMC is the company that was able to pull. So ARM is the designer. They are literally the company that creates like the technical 
um, <clears throat> specifications that define where the next architectures are going. The blueprint. Um, the blueprint, pretty much. They're the ones that define that. And then it's whichever company gets there and builds that architecture first, whether it's Samsung, which is one of them, whether it's a TSMC in, 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 in Taiwan, which was the other one, uh, Josh? Uh, I'm trying, I'm actually blanking at the moment. Um, but like, but like, for example, the 10 nanometer process was Samsung. I do know that they were the ones that, that, that cracked it. And then the seven nanometer was TSMC. And that's the reason why we've seen all the spur of seven nanometer chips. And now they're already working on the five nanometer. Uh, but yeah. And so if arm, which is the company that establishes the rules of the game says that they don't have a relationship with Huawei, then how is, these are pretty much their patents. So how is Huawei going to be able to access the technology, even if it's from a reseller? Legally, they shouldn't be able to, if, if I understood this correctly. Commenters, I love it when you point that I'm wrong. Just do me a favor, say why, <laughs> if I am. I would love that because I don't know exactly if this is the way it is. Uh, I, this is the way it makes sense to me and this is kind of the way they explained to me at, at MediaTek at some point. Um, but, uh, but like, for example, these MediaTek ships are made by TSMC. They're the manufacturer. Mm. Qualcomm, uh, same with the Snapdragon 855. It's a TSMC chip, uh, uh, but under ARM's architecture. So I think that... So ARM is like the architect. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. And then there are builders. Um, but to answer your other question... And, and Neo is the one. Yeah, exactly. Um, to, uh, to answer your other question, Brandon, that I think you had in the notes here, uh, it doesn't look like High Silicon makes anything other than mobile chips. So unless High Silicon gets into what Qualcomm is doing these days with uh, always connected PCs um, or whatever the whatever they might be calling it these days, um, yeah, those chips are mobile. There's nothing for laptops or notebooks in that case. Um, but even the always connected PCs required the... So unless... Huawei came up with their own architecture. Like, unless they came up with another alternative to ARM, mm -hmm. everything is either ARM or what is, uh, uh, it's either RISC or CISC. Uh, so it's either whatever ARM is doing or Intel. Mm -hmm. uh, Intel and AMD, which is which is the other alternative. Yeah. Uh, whole different bag so of it's either, there. Yeah, it's a whole different mess. X X86 versus ARM. It's completely different. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, one more thing before we get into our mid-break. Um, I, I wanted to ask you guys some thoughts about the uh, MateBook, MateBook, about the Mate X. Obviously, Huawei's foldable. Um, we still don't have any confirmed, there's nothing confirmed yet about whether or not the Mate X is still going to come out, if it's going to have Android, if all of these bands are going to really affect it. Uh, but there was some speculation. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, one of our one of our friends, uh, Danny Wingett, um, who mentioned on, on a tweet uh, that, that kind of got me thinking, well, of course, as Jaime uh, reported, the Galaxy Fold is further delayed because they really want to get that perfected. They want to make sure that all the problems aren't there, but they're also not feeling the pressure anymore if the Mate X is no longer a thing. It's, I think it's still going to be a thing. It's just, you know, it's not going to come out when we expected it. So do you think that the Mate X being, let's say, at the very least delayed changes the landscape of the foldable market? And isn't that sad? Mm -hmm. See, th this is my problem. Um, it's funny when we when we have this whole thing of yeah, it's a free market and free competition, and this spurs innovation, and we're just going to ban one of the companies that was coming up with one of the better products. Uh, yeah, it, it kills competition. I feel that it does. Uh, I still, I know that a lot of people don't agree with me that the out that the outer folding design is the best design. The funny part is that every single person that doesn't agree with me has never held the fold, the the either the fold or the Mate X, mm -hmm. or the Mate X. I've held both and I've used the fold, and uh, I do agree. If that Mate X falls on the floor, it's going to the the display is going to be dead. I get it, but I feel that that is the more that is the more innovative design from a, let's try not to reinvent the wheel kind of perspective. Yeah, indeed, Brendan. Yeah, the Mate X over the last like six to 12 months has been the only compelling thing that people can con contrast to the Galaxy Fold. I mean, if you think about it, except for that Xiaomi prototype, which we haven't heard anything about, yeah. Yeah. But, no, but no one's going to get excited about that. What's that crappy phone uh, with the hinge that is like shipping already? What's that called? 
with the hinge of shipping already. Uh, the Jaime, any you know? No, the the Dragon Hinge from TCL. Well, that's not shipping yet, right? Like, is there already a phone with that? No. Oh, okay. It's it was just a, the. It was at oh, CES. Oh, the Flex Buy. The Flex oh. Buy. Yes, that. Okay. Yeah, no one's no one's talking about that. It's the Mate X and the Galaxy Fold, and if the Mate X is hampered, it's going to harm the Galaxy Fold, and it's going to delay the glorious year of foldable phones which was supposed to be this year mm-hmm. and might not be until next year now yeah that's very true uh i do think that uh without something like the mate x really pushing the boundaries because let's put it this way you can create a concept like that you can create buzz around a product like that i think huawei was ready i think that they were about Same. they were totally Same. ready they had the resources to actually make this a reality and now it's not quite going to be the reality so. well but 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 think about it it's just not just the foldable market you know we have to i and i'm not sure if in the bullet points i don't remember if there's more dude 5g man how many everybody that's like oh huawei is doomed huawei is dead i'm like they're not guys I think they own around 50% of the patents that make the current 5G technology possible. Mm-hmm. So trust me, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. They're- not not without a fight. Yeah. How exactly does the world plan to launch 5G without their IP? Mhm. Indeed. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. More 5G talk on the weekly this week, but there's another internet revolution coming, Wi-Fi 6. And to get the kind of blinding speed you know you want in your home, Netgear now has the Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router. It is capable of four times the capacity compared to today's current Wi-Fi standards, which means more devices working simultaneously without impacts to speed and reliability. As smartphones and laptops and TVs are getting more and more advanced, the data that powers them will need to be as high performance as possible. Make sure your internet is future-proof for services like Netflix, Hulu, and even gaming. Brandon Miniman is already using the Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router to pretty good effect, but we're going to make sure to get it over to Jaime de Veta so that he can have that extra capacity so we have a more stable Jaime every week on the Pocket Now Weekly. All right, so you can turn your Wi-Fi up to 6 with a Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router at netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. It's the biggest revolution in Wi-Fi ever. And we're back from our break. Uh, I just wanted to do our recurring segment. Again, this particular portion is only going to be for you listeners. Uh, this is not going to be for the YouTube side. So you listeners are going to be able to hear from the three of us what is in our pocket now. Uh, I need to figure out. I always want to say what's in our pockets now, but that's not grammatically correct. Anyway, Brandon, let's start with you. What is in your pocket now? I am still with the uh, OnePlus 7 Pro. Ooh. But Did you just take a case off of you, it? Yeah, it's the... Uh, OEM, it's so good. Oh, okay. it's that, I thought uh, that when you showed it, you were like, you know, naked. It's a great looking phone. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because it's so pretty. I just want to shine it yeah. up. But, but, guess what happens next week, guys? Mm. The regular OnePlus 7 goes on <laughs> sale. Um, it's in, you know, the UK and India and other countries except for the US, but I don't care. There's a there are many websites, thanks to the power of the internet, that let you buy anything from wherever you are. So I am so looking forward to the OnePlus seven because it is it is that nice smaller form factor. It's got some upgrades, it's got the dual speakers, it's got the faster processor, it's got UFS 3.0 storage. So I am so excited for the OnePlus 7, and I hope by the next time I'm on the podcast, I have the OnePlus 7 as much as I love the OnePlus 7 Pro, but the 7's for me. I would love so. I would love to see what your thoughts are on that one because um, who was it? A, a recent review came out for it. I don't know if it was Engadget or The Verge, whose headline for the OnePlus 7 review was designed to make you want the Pro. You want the OnePlus <laughs> yeah. 7 Pro, yeah. Which I was like, <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, it's probably true. Um, okay, so in my case, uh, let me just pull out this phone real quick actually it's right next to me uh right now what is in my pocket now is uh the phone that i unboxed live on the podcast last week so this is the uh the Oppo Reno, which i'm going to be doing a quick video on today uh just to make it clear to our pocket now audience that yeah we have the phone i have been testing it out i already took a ton of selfies on this and i'll give you one quick hot take uh since we're talking about the oneplus 7 pro right now this front-facing camera is wider than the one on the oneplus 7 pro which automatically makes it win for me <laughs> i'm sorry uh i just i just can't not this- does it do 4K? Does it do 4K video? It do, I, ooh, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Eh, eh. Dude, <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying that the Galaxy S10 is my favorite selfie camera for video, but that 4K, man. That 4K and that it's, autofocus. It's hard. It's hard to move away from that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's hard. So you guys have all got the cool phones. I don't. 1080. Yeah, only 1080, by the way. I don't have the cool phone. Look at what I got. Can you recognize that? You have an affordable phone is what you have. I have an affordable phone right here. The Moto Z4 is in the house, everyone, because by the time we record this, uh, the embargo will be lifted. Um, <laughs> dude, dude, does it work with Moto Mods? I don't know. <laughs> um, do you actually want to use Moto Mods is the question, because I don't. <laughs> that 5G mod, maybe. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That 5G mod is the size of my Honda Accord. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, here's the thing. Um, if we, So I was invited to their presentation. It's funny how I see Sam Sheffer with a tripod the size of this door, uh, one of these walls. And, he, and I'm like, dude, why are you carrying that thing? He's like, it's not just that, dude. I brought it in one of these. Because, you know, he uses one of those uh, skateboards. I forget the, the, boosted? the boosted boards. Mm -hmm. Dude, and I brought this on a boosted board. Like, I'm like, what? what? Why did you do that? And he's like, because I thought they were going to show us the Razor. So now. Nice. We, we, I was actually going to come here. I was going to come to Philly on Tuesday, and I couldn't because I was like, guys, we've got Moto. We can't say no. It's probably the Razor. It was so excited, and oh, we got the Z4. Oh, okay. I, I, can, I can see where your trepidation is now. <laughs> oh, it was everybody's. Everybody was like, why are we here? But, 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 but. Everyone but. was saying good, it. <laughs> good news. Good news. Um, Motorola is profitable now. Yeah. They have been they have been for a year. Oh. And tell you what, their strategy is moving away from flagships. They are number one in unlock phones. Uh, they have grown significantly in Latin America. Um, they are, have grown tremendously over the past couple of quarters. Uh, obviously, they're still dwarfed by absolutely everything else that's out there. <laughs> Um, but uh, regardless, what we need is healthy companies. We need companies to survive. And if there's one company that I want to survive is Moto. I mean, they were my favorite uh, company for probably a decade. Mm. Like my my 20s were defined by Motorola. And so, you know, dude, I, I want them to survive. So I'm down to see their next chapter. I just want a better phone. <laughs> I'm so glad you um, clarified how they're profitable. When you said Moto is profitable, I'm like, um, how? <laughs> and then I guess it's it's the uh, mid-range and, and the lower-end phones. Which, which makes know, a lot of sense, sense, right? In the, in the end, dude, I mean, they're literally catering to the market that's willing to invest on them. And that's the thing. Like, right now you can get this phone for $10 a month on Verizon. Mm. $10 a month on Verizon. Would you debate this? I mean, that's kind of a steal. It is. Uh, unfortunately, from what I saw on Twitter... Um, isn't it uh, when you buy it unlocked? Isn't it twice the price? Practically, if you buy it on no, uh, that's a good question because they have like the five G Moto mod. Oh, uh, that bundle is four thirty nine, and then if you go for the three hundred sixty degree camera unlock variant, listen to this: with the three hundred sixty degree camera unlocked, it's four ninety nine. I think that's the one that I heard. Yeah, yeah. So and yeah, do not buy that Moto mod. That's the worst one. <laughs> There you go. Hot take. They they just they just need to get rid of inventory. I feel bad for them. But other other than that, you know, I mean, it's a fast and fluid fluid phone. I mean, we we've known this about Motorola. They know how to make you know stock Android phones that are fast and fluid on not the best specs. Ever since the Moto X, that was the mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is what we got here with the Moto Z. It's just the Z was supposed to be the flagship. It no longer is. Gotcha. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty, and it presents well in the store. It looks different. Yeah. It's it's not glass. It's thin. It's no. Light. It's glass. It's glass. It's matte glass, actually. Ooh. Oh, you f fooled me. Yeah. Um, exactly. It looks so well. It looks like aluminum. Wow. That's so the, you know what? It's it's. it's isn't not that a bad what phone. the OnePlus Seven Pro did? Is kind of a matted glass, sort of. Yes, it is a matted glass, but this one for some reason doesn't pick up fingerprints. Oh. Uh, as well. And for a mid-ranger, this is a nano-coated phone, meaning it's not necessarily submergible, but if it gets wet, don't worry about it because all the internals are protected against water. Gotcha. And that's that's the technology that I feel that every phone should bring instead of like gaskets to protect them. I would rather all phones be fully nano-coated. Seal it from the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A nice layer of Teflon right on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> Teflon tape. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> 
So Huawei clearly had backup plans. Not only did they have a backup plan for their high silicon chips, for their Kirin chips and whatnot, uh, but apparently they have operating system backup plans as well. Uh, I don't have I don't have a specific. Uh, story that that cites this um I, I saw it in a couple of places but apparently there's already an operating system in china that is uh on top of windows so for the laptops in china there's already a os in place but as far as android is concerned uh jaime you broke the news that apparently there's a patent or some sort of listing for a, there's a trademark listing there you go trademark listing for a huawei operating system called arc os for Noah's Ark. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> so what would, um, so I guess the, the question here is like, let the speculation run wild. What would a Android alternative called Ark even look like? Well, that's what we don't know. Of All course. we have right now is a trademark. And like the only thing that we've seen from Huawei that is an operating system is their watch OS, which I don't know what to call it. It doesn't really have a name. But uh, we already saw what the company can do. I mean, what are the biggest caveats with Android? It's not power efficient, and it carries a lot of baggage uh, from previous generations of Android. And so, uh, uh, obviously, we we, ha- we have a lot of things we wish. And my God, we got like 1,300 comments on that daily, uh, or 1,400. And it was all about what we would like to see from Mark OS. Actually, uh, for, those of you got, for, for those of you that want to see deeper, we will definitely do a full episode on the recap on your comments regarding what you want for Arc OS, because mm-hmm. I think that that's something we should definitely discuss. But most of the people wanted power efficiency and compatibility with Android applications. And uh, we've seen Android before so many ways, and for apps to be able to either be sideloaded or for companies to create their own stores. And so here's the thing about Huawei, and not just Huawei. We could say that about Xiaomi, Oppo, all these Chinese companies. They already have a store. They already have, and they were forced to create it because that's the way things work in China. So they already created the infrastructure years ago. Uh, all they needed was the operating system. And if this, so what is Android? I mean, even Android apps are emulated on Android. Mm. Even Android apps don't run natively on Android. And so uh, think about this. I mean, what? how difficult could it be for them? And so everybody's going to be like, yeah, but the Play Store is not going to work. Guys, 50% of Huawei's market doesn't care because they're in China. Okay. Yeah. So the, those app stores, though, like, okay, so quick question here before I move over to Brandon. Like, what's to stop, even if you have an operating system shell that is able to mm-hmm. um, work with these applications via a different type of app store, what's to stop any of these main applications? I mean, obviously, with Google, you're already going to lose Gmail. You're already going to lose Google Maps. You're going to lose a lot yeah. of applications that are intrinsic to many smartphone users' daily lives now. But like for any other app that may or may not be based in the U.S., what's to stop them from pulling support uh, on Huawei devices anyway? You know. Well, can they? Can they? Like you said, Gmail, for example, mm-hmm. you, you can import your Gmail through IMAP or Pop3. You said YouTube. You can watch YouTube on any browser, and YouTube doesn't even work in China. That's true. Yeah. You know, Google. Like, here's the thing, and this is one of the reasons why another uh, another one of the major comments that happened in the daily was about open sourcing. If Huawei is smart, they will open source their OS. Because if you think about it, if Huawei, so why, everybody was also mentioning, yes, but WebOS failed. Yes, but Windows Phone failed. Yeah, none of these companies had the scale that Huawei has. Yeah, that's true. None of them, not even close. So imagine if Huawei comes out with an Arc OS, and they're like, you know what? P20 Pro, P30 Pro, P20, up to the P10. You can all download ArcOS right now, and here's a special tool. Dude, have you seen that Huawei, uh, the Switch application that they have? The clone phone, the Huawei clone phone, for you to create an exact copy of your phone when you're moving from one Huawei phone to another? Dude, that thing is like seamless. Mm. So all they have to do is like create an alternative to that, move their apps, and think about this. If you've got all the P10s, P20s, May10s, May20s of the world connected to ArcOS, do you really think the developers are not going to want to add a little extra code just to be able to port their applications to ArcOS? Why not if there's so much scale? You think developers are going to want to take a hit? See, banning Huawei from Android is not just hurting Google. Think about how how big their market is. It's hurting everybody. It's a lose-lose, yeah. period. 
Yeah, and it wouldn't take too much for developers to actually port over, hopefully, as you say, as long as they make it open source. Uh, you, you mentioned the uh, web OS, Windows OS, but I think, Brandon, that was where you wanted to pop off from uh, about why those failed, but why this one? Like, Do you think that ArcOS could be a success? Yeah, the um, what's interesting is that 2019 is probably one of the best times to make another operating system because you can model it off of the best of the two most successful operating systems. Android now in its 10th version, iOS coming up on its 13th version. You can take the best from those operating systems and then you can take what um, we have learned from the failed operating systems of the past. Windows Phone, Windows Mobile, Palm OS, WebOS, BlackBerry, all of which had a lot of commonalities which is that they didn't have the developer support. Mm. When you have the developer support, you essentially mobilize an army of millions of developers that are able to innovate on your platform. And all Huawei has to do, it's very simple. They just need to make Android apps compatible with ArcOS. And then they need to take the best of Android and the best of iOS, and they've got the apps, the developers, and then they've got hopefully a good notification system and power efficiency and a good animation framework and I think it's a great time that they could actually make a compelling operating system. And like Jaime said, I bet they could offer an upgrade utility so that everyone with a good Huawei phone can run an, a utility, get the new operating system, and it's low friction. It's just it's just easy. Mm. Yeah, they already do it for their existing Huawei phones. And here's the thing. I mean, we already saw it with their Huawei Watch GT. It's not my favorite watch, but notifications work on it. And it is the most power-efficient smartwatch in the market right now. Yeah, that's just the way it is. I mean, if we have to compare that thing gives you a week of battery life without a problem. Yeah, which no other smartwatch in that category can do. So this is proof. And here's the thing. I mean, if, if you notice, part of my argument is this. Is Android the best operating system right now? Is it really the best? Android is dated. It carries a lot of baggage. Apple has already made the move away from its uh, from its legacy iOS. We know when they made the move to Swift, for, you know they made they came from what was it? Uh, what was the name of the source code before before Swift? I forget. Was it was it Xcode or something or is that Mac? No, no, it was. Um, I even forgot what it was. I even forgot what it what it was. Uh, you guys, I'll, I'll, we'll you guys have to remember I was at an Android website for a lot of years, so I don't know anything about that. That is true. Hold <laughs> on, hold on. Source, source code. And you know what? While you're looking that up real quick, you know, the, I, I had a thought uh, just now. Do you really think that uh, with millions and millions of players in China alone, um, I, I thought to myself, do you really think PUBG Mobile wouldn't find a way to support ArcOS if it became a thing like that? That's... Mm. That makes yeah. That's that's a compelling thought. The the only way that works is if you've got the scale, and Huawei already right now has the scale. Yeah, they 100%. do. You know they do, and so right now, so here's the thing: iOS made a significant. So, so in the past, there was Objective C, and they moved to Swift. Uh, already figured it out, and so think about this: Apple made the switch to Swift in iOS eight or nine, I think it was. So how many generations ago did Apple already move away? And even in iOS 10, they were like, you know what? We're not supporting any more uh, uh, 32-bit code. It's only going to be 64-bit. Like Apple has already been making these moves that Android has not been willing to make. Or if they have, they probably haven't made it public. Or I just don't have enough information. Or again, commenters, don't just tell me I'm wrong. Show me where. I really thank you. All right. Because that's the thing. I, you know, Android needs a change. Imagine that if applications are still emulated, how many years after? Mm. I mean, think about it. So Google, I mean, we've been hearing about Fusion OS for the longest time. Oh, yeah. We have. It doesn't, it, it hasn't come to fruition. So as you mentioned, Brandon, if right now Huawei would be smart enough to learn from Apple with iOS, to learn from the mistakes of Android and to build something better, which they've got the cash and the infrastructure and the developers, they already built the store, they already have the infrastructure because they're forced to do so from China. What stops them from doing it? And they already tried an operating system with the watch, so it's not like if they don't have experience. Yeah, indeed. Um, so obviously, when we're talking about ArcOS, about a potential alternative to the operating system that Huawei just lost because of the Google license poll, um, 
So you already started touching upon it, uh, the both of you actually. Uh, so what is it that Android is doing that that warrants an alternative? What is something? What is something that you absolutely abhor about <laughs> Android that you hope ArcOS is able to remedy? I think a lot of people have a lot uh, of points about it. Like you said already, like it's baggage. It's not good with power uh, efficiency. But Brandon, is there anything about Android that you hope that ArcOS actually changes? Yeah, and I think there's, there's. well, I, I hope there are two things that are terrible about it. One thing terrible about Android and one thing great about Android. The terrible thing is the update situation. Even with Project Treble making it a little bit easier for some OEMs in some cases to update versions of Android, there are just still too many hardware configurations out there. Mm. But if you have if you have ArcOS and it's running on 21 Huawei devices, then in theory it should be relatively easy. You kind of have a hybrid model between Android and iOS because they're controlling the hardware and the software to some extent, but there's a lot of different hardware. And as far as things that I think they should definitely bring over, that's a big strength of Android, is the notification system, which has gotten so good to the point where you can interact with your phone almost entirely through the notification shade. You can do quick actions, you can archive emails, respond to emails, you can snooze notifications, you can see them bundled and expanded and swipe away individual ones. It's just, it's just, it's made for mobile, the notification system, and I hope that any new operating system copies that exactly. That's the part I hate the most, actually. Can somebody what? tell me why Google can't make notifications chronological? Oh, here he goes again. I am sorry, <laughs> but all right, fine. Here's the thing. Think of it from a business perspective. What is it that makes Apple one of the most profitable companies in the world and the one that's making the most amount of money from a soft from a you know from a software perspective? It's the fact that they own the store and they get a cut for the applications. What is the Chinese business model for Xiaomi that's been such a boom? Because they literally can sell phones at cost and make money elsewhere. It's their app store. That is the that is the the secret. And so if Google pulls this off, this is only another opportunity to make money through their own app store going beyond China. So again, I think that if there's one player, if there's one company that's losing in this whole ban, it's Google. Mm. Google is the only company that's losing because the only way that Google, that Android can remain successful is through scale. And if you lose, think about it. What is so Huawei is literally what a fourth of the install base for Android. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's a third or even 25%. Fine, even 20. Dude, that's a lot of phones. It's a lot of it is a ton. Yeah, it is a ton. That is a ton of phones, especially after all of the lines that have come in the last number of years. Like, there's a lot. There are a lot of people who are still using previous P devices, previous Mate devices. There's a ton. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of headway that they that they probably want to make up for at some point. And as Huawei have said, um, you know, in official statements that they hope. Actually, no. Uh, let me take that back. Microsoft at one point did say. I know we're talking about Android, but hopefully this is the uh, hopefully this is the the mentality that everyone has when it comes to Huawei. Microsoft said once. Once some sort of deal or uh, some of these details are ironed out, we would love to work with Huawei again. And I hope that a lot of people are having that that mentality. Well, but but even the Huawei president in the second interview that I watched from him, he said, like, it's funny how the the interviewers were kept pushing him to throw companies in the United States under the bus. <laughs> and that's and that's and that's when the guy was like, "No, are you kidding me? If if that's when he said, if the Chinese if the Chinese government would to, were to try to ban Apple, I would protest." Yeah. That's when he in that interview, that's where he said that. He's like, "Are you kidding me? We owe ourselves." He said it clearly. We owe ourselves to US companies. They taught us how to work. They gave us work. They they showed our executives how to reach the level that they've achieved. Apple is a mentor to us. We look up to their work. And he's like, I'm just waiting for this to be over to I would love to work work again with them. This is not us trying to find our own way to do things. You're just pushing us out. But it's not even these companies. It's not because we have a sour relationship with these companies. It's the government. Mm-hmm. So it's it's funny how this is playing out. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, all right. Well, I think that uh, that should pretty much do it. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners right now. If you are listening to this podcast uh, using whatever podcast streaming application you fancy, you probably heard an entire hour's worth of show uh, that included our hot takes on some of the week's top headlines, but also the recurring segment, What is in Your Pocket Now? For the YouTube viewers, thank you so much for watching. We made it a little bit more streamlined for the YouTube audience. So if you wanted to come here about uh, and listen or watch uh, the podcast about Huawei. Uh, that's all you got on the YouTube site. So let us know what you think about these uh, slight format changes and let us know uh, how you feel about all of the Huawei news and uh, anything else that we talked about on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let our guests uh, tell everybody where that where the people can find them. Uh, Brandon, let's start with you. Twitter, at Brandon Miniman. <laughs> at Brandon Miniman, as I tend to say. <laughs> for those of you that are looking for tweets of somebody posting about new Oreo cookies, Definitely follow Brandon. <laughs> I love those. I love those things. Jesus, man. <laughs> and oh, yeah. And that's it's the other thing, too. to follow you, man. <laughs> and that's the other thing, too. Um, the, the two guests, our two guests today are actually in the same location at the moment. So uh, Jaime's uh, in the Pocanow offices right now, just three doors away from Brandon. So those Oreos are probably being shared <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> I, I, I need to disappear, man. This is so unhealthy for me. <laughs> Jaime, Brandon, is uh, such a ba- I, Brandon is such a bad influence. <laughs> Jaime, I'm sure a lot of people already know since you are the host of The Daily, but let everybody know where to find you. Uh, Jaime Rivera on Instagram. That's where I am mostly. Jaime underscore Rivera for Twitter, but it's really just for Instagram reposts. All right. Sounds good. Um, let me find... And for rants about Verizon Fios. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I might put that at the end of the show, like I said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I am, of course, Joshua Figaro, your host. I am at JVTechT on Twitter and Instagram. You know me. I'm JV. I love tech and I love to drink me some tea. Pocket Now is at Pocket Now on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube in English and Espanol where you can find more news on the Pocketnow Daily and Pocketnow Adario every weekday. Catch up with what the weekly is talking about at Pocketnow.com slash podcast. Of course, head over to Pocketnow.com for many of the news stories and headlines that you might be hearing on the podcast every week. Also, make sure to make your voices heard by emailing us, podcast at Pocketnow.com. We would love your feedback through reviews and ratings on Google, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you might be streaming us, because without you, we wouldn't have been able to make this show for your eyes and ears every single week. All right, we're going to see you next week on our next episode. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys later.